Today on We Hear, celebrities are treating podcasts as confessionals. We'll dive into how so many stars are using them to spill the tea. We'll talk to Ben Whittacombe, the editor-in-chief of Avenue Magazine and author of Gate Crasher, a book all about his days as a gossip columnist. And we'll check in with celebrity psychic Chris Medina about the future of the Vanderpump Rules cast. Coming up next on We Hear. Oh my God. We're on page six. Yeah. Uh-huh. No. Yeah. Another divorce splashed across page six. Page six would have a field day. Hey there, I'm Maggie Coglin. And I'm Ian Moore, and welcome to We Hear, a page six podcast. We hear all the celebrity dirt from our exclusive sources, and you hear the story behind the story. And today, we've got a very special episode of We Hear. One in which we talk to Ben Whittacombe, the editor-in-chief of Avenue Magazine, who has a new book coming out about his life as a gossip columnist, a topic very close to our hearts. That's right, Maggie. And full disclosure, we each have a bit of a history with Ben. At one time, he was my sworn gossip nemesis when he was working over at The Daily News, while I was, of course, at the New York Post number one gossip column, page six. And but you and Ben were were colleagues once upon a time. Yes, once upon a time, Ben and I worked together at AOL, and then later he was my boss at another job. So I'm there happy to have him on the podcast. Well, one revelation in Ben's new book is he does talk about how a lot of gossip columnists behind the scenes have a collegial relationship and that has always been true. Ben is a gentleman and a scholar, even though we were mortal nemeses. And if that's not juicy enough for you, we have celebrity psychic Chris Medina, who you might remember we discussed in an earlier episode because he had read the cast of Vanderpump Rules. Now that there's been a lot of change on that set, a term I use loosely, he's telling us what we can expect from them. I knew you were going to say all of this, Maggie, because I was using some of my own we, he, ESP. But Chris Medina, the psychic, also gives me a reading on the show, which gets a little emotional. But first up, let's talk about podcasts. You and I are on one. We bring we it may- to you multiple times a week. We may as well talk about podcasts. That's true, because we're on a podcast. and So um, meta. You know, I, the thing, the podcasting thing that kind of blows my mind is Obviously, in the past few years, celebrities have been using social media, primarily Twitter and Instagram, to to kind of break their own stories, to reveal mm-hmm. all sorts of things from pregnancies to relationships to breakups to, yeah. And, their um, <laughs> bodies and how they right. look. Their, oh, right. That's true. Their, their dramatic weight losses and their dramatic weight gains and their uh, trips to rehab and their, you know, the whole thing. Um, but increasingly, there are all these random, pretty big stories that, that break on podcasts. But the thing that I can never figure out is kind of matching the celebrity in this story up with the podcast, because similarly to social media, where some of these stories just come out of left field, it's not like all of these podcasts are, are so major and they're not that big names behind them. So suddenly you'll have like a major celebrity story breaking. It'll get picked up everywhere. And it was like, 
you know, came out on kind of in the most random places. I have to say, I, I do find it hard to understand as sort well, of a more of a traditional media person myself. It does feel like every celebrity is just gunning for their own podcast. Like just this week, we had a story about Sheena Shea from Vanderpump Rules talking about how she had suffered a miscarriage. And she talked about it on her own podcast, which is called Shenanigans with Sheena Shea. It's like what better place to control your narrative than your listeners hearing it on your podcast, coming from your mouth, your own words. You can relay as much emotion as you'd like to. Uh, I think the podcast might be the replacement for social media in breaking celebrity news. Yeah, it's sort of, the, you know, Derek Jeter had this brilliant idea, which ended up basically failing called the Players Tribune. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Oh, and I it do. Was, it was going to be a place where the where athletes could could write their own stories. It was like medium for athletes, basically. And it launched with a couple big reveals by athletes. But in the end, it didn't really work out because every athlete and every celebrity has their own platform. They have their own social media accounts. And a lot of them have really have their own podcasts, as you say. But also sometimes it's like there'll be these big stories, like, for example, or just weird stories like, uh, Kevin Spacey recently, who we hadn't heard a lot from since he got, you know, canceled for his various, you know, sexual harassment scandals that he was involved in. And then suddenly he came out, you know, and I remember it was a few months ago, he came out and, and, and revealed something or spoke out. And I remember I was reading the, the story and then it was like, he told the bits and pretzels podcast. And I'm like, what the hell is the bits and pretzels podcast? Is it a is snack? Is it a it's it's like the snack industry board, the pretzel board? But it turned out it was actually a podcast that's related to some sort of kind of tech confab, maybe a German tech confab with the pretzels and the mustard and the. But in any event, the only thing I just don't the only thing that annoys me about this when I we or when I read about this is that people didn't break it on. We hear a page six podcast, which is that's what people should be doing. Yeah. Remember we had the story about scout Willis who filled everybody in on why her dad, Bruce Willis and her mom, Demi Moore were quarantining together and her stepmother, Emma was nowhere to be found. She talks about that on a podcast called dopey. Right, dopey. It turned out it was like a recovery podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but just one good celebrity interview, one modicum of scoop, and these lesser-known podcasts are getting so much press. Totally. Or like when Hilaria Baldwin was talking about – there was a controversy about her her nannies. She discussed it on Mom School. Mom School. We had a podcast. story – there was a story about Megan King Edmonds, who was a former real housewife of Orange County. You know, she had very short-lived time on the show, but she got on a podcast and talked about having a threesome. And then all of a sudden, we were all into Megan King Edmonds' love life and her divorce and the power of 
sharing a secret on a podcast can do a lot. Maggie, I, I think you're totally right in that celebrities themselves are basically trying to all launch their own podcasts and have their own media properties because these days with the state of the movie business, you know, you can't just be a, unless you're Leo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise, you know, you can't just be a movie star anymore. It's not going to really pay the bills. So you look at people like Jessica Alba, you know, or any of these stars who've had to diversify into other fields. Um, so I think you have those stars who are people who they can they can launch their own podcast and sort of diversify their own brand in a kind of Gwyneth Paltrow goopish way. Hmm. And also you have kind of these second banana people like Dax Shepard, you know, who has the number, you know, one of the top three podcasts in the world. And it's like, who the hell? He's the guy from Punked. Who, I, I know. Mean, I was thinking about that. That was his thing. It's just like, what? Well, the Dax Shepard thing is really interesting because he's able to get A-list talent. Celebrities feel very comfortable with him. They reveal a lot. He's pretty candid about his career, his sobriety. And I think because he puts it all on the table, celebrities are more apt to kind of overshare almost with him. Like in a way that Mark Marin was doing before, but because I think Dax, you know, is more of a guy who you would see on red carpets more than Marin. They, there's more of a relation there. Right, or the sort of Howard Stern thing. The one yeah. thing that I have found confusing is there have been a few stories that have come out lately on another podcast called Hollywood Raw with Dax Holt and Adam Glenn. So I think that one way to have a successful podcast is if your name is Dax. Just be named Dax. We here with Dax Moore and Dax Coglin. Yeah. Come on our show and tell us your business. If your name is Dax. That That is like the premier podcasting name right now. Today we are joined by Ben Whittacombe, editor-in-chief of Avenue and author of the new book, Gate Crusher. And actually, Ben, I should say, can you tell us the the full title of the book? Because I, I noticed when I saw the book that it's Gate Crasher, and then there's more to the title. Well, apparently there's a formula you have to abide by when you have a memoir. And the publisher was very keen that the full title, which is kind of long, really let the reader know that it's it's a personal story. So it's Gate Crasher, colon, How <laughs> I Helped the Rich Become Famous and Ruin the World. Oh. <laughs> Your shoulders must be so heavy, Ben. <laughs> well, I, what, what that is meant to indicate is that it's a book about covering the rich and famous, which I have done for 20 years in, in New York City. Um, but it also is sort of copping to the fact that as a, specifically a gossip reporter, it wasn't like all this stuff was happening at arm's length. And, and we as gossip reporters, I, I feel, are, are kind of complicit in stoking the spectacle. So um, while it's a lot of fun um, and there's a lot of gloriously bad behavior described in the book, uh, I sort of feel like, you know, I, I wasn't exactly begging them to stop because I was a gossip reporter and, and, you, and you wanted this outrageous behavior because that was the kind of stuff that filled the column. Yeah. And you've covered, I mean, Maggie mentioned that you're now the editor in chief of Avenue Magazine, but you've really, um, you've covered gossip from sort of the the high and the low, right? You worked for the New York Times and Town and Country. Uh-huh. You also had... Um, written stuff for page six, and then you were at the Daily News, our at our 
then rival gossip yes. column, um, Gatecrasher, <laughs> right? Uh, and indeed, I also started at page six. So I, yeah. I covered the waterfront. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I became a gossip columnist by accident. I, I moved to New York mm-hmm. City in 1998 with my uh, boyfriend at the time. And he was a fashion guy. Uh, and I was more an arts reporter. And uh, he got the idea of starting a gossip column on the internet called Chic Happens. Uh, and, you know, I was the partner. So I was sort of helped with the column and wrote some of the gags. And we went to all the same parties together. And when we were nobodies in New York in the 90s, we were gatecrashing. And that's why I named my subsequent column in the book Gatecrashers, an homage to how we got into those places. And because it was 98 and no one else was doing it, we, we were, I think, the first fashion gossip column online. Um, it became a hit uh, and it inspired people who came later. It was before Perez Hilton. It was before Gawker. Uh, it was before Brian Boy. Uh, and I think all of those took a little bit of chic happens uh, and, and ran with it with what they did. Uh, and then so much to my surprise, I was considered a gossip columnist. And of course, I was an immigrant. So I was grateful for any work I was offered. And Richard Johnson, the, the great longtime editor of Page Six, invited me to join, you know, as the lowest rung on the Page Six totem pole. Uh, and so I did that for 18 months. And eventually, uh, Daily News poached me and gave me my own column. So uh, that's how I got into gossip. And, you know, it's funny because when I saw when I saw the book, I have to admit, I had forgotten, believe it or not, about Chic Happens. But I had like a, I, I remembered it and I was mentioning it to my wife and we were we were, you know, remembering um, remembering it. And the thing is, do you kind of feel you mentioned it was kind of the blueprint for Gawker? Do you sort of look back and think that Chic Happens was just too ahead of its time? Do you? Do you wish that you had sort of continued it and wrote it into the sort of subsequent internet gossip boom? Or do you think it just had its run and... Well, just a little bit of, of everything. I, I mean, the short answer is yes. I think because uh, my partner and I were both Australian immigrants, we what we really wanted, our, our definition of success in New York City was to get jobs with these big established uh, media brands. Because I was very grateful to work for the New York Post. I was very grateful to work for the Daily News and, and, and the Times later in town and country, as you mentioned. Because these were the, you know, for an immigrant, that's a marker of success. And now, in hindsight, I realized that what we had and what we created without thinking was our own internet valuable brand, which was probably in many ways more important than those other markers. But uh, at the time, we were young and we were in this new city. And for us, success meant the post all the times. Um, so I, I think that we honestly, and we and there was a bit of burnout too, to be frank. I think we did it for five years and we're both ready to move on. But we didn't realize how valuable what we created was at the time. Hmm. Speaking of what you've created, have you? do you have any regret for making any one star in particular famous or giving them airtime? You look back, you're like, why did I cover them? Why did I do that? No, not at all. I mean, because mostly the people we cover are, are monsters, right? I mean, they're desperate for fame. I mean, I, <laughs> and, you know, entertaining is, us is their job. And I mean, the only people I have any sympathy for whatsoever were the Olsen twins, because mm. I think those two young people, never made the choice to get into show business. Their parents put them on uh, television uh, when they were literal babies uh, in Full House. And 
they so they, they never had a choice. And then they had that, that long series of movies you might remember where they solved crimes and whatnot when they were like eight and ten and twelve. Mm-hmm. And so it's true that they could have jumped off, I guess. But you know, in the aughts, which were a lot of the action in Gate Crasher takes place, they were so famous and so hounded. And those are the only two people that I ever thought these are these these are people in a situation not of their own making. But, you know, Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan um, and, you know, probably my claim to fame as a gossip columnist, heaven help me, is breaking the Kim Kardashian sex tape. Uh, I was the first columnist to write about that. So all of those people are desperate for attention. So, no, I, I, I don't have any qualms at all about covering that. And in, in the book, you have recollections about um, covering, you know, everyone from Tom Cruise and um, Donald and Melania Trump to... Jerry Lewis and Robin Williams. I mean, it's like chockful. It's almost it's it's like the uh, cover of Sergeant Pepper's or something. It's like you know, it's it's like a it's like everyone's in there. Can you tell us about just some of your your favorite anecdotes that when you when you thought about writing the book, um, some that you were really eager to share, and then maybe um, are there any that you had even kind of forgotten about, and as you were going through things and reminiscing, that you thought, oh, I, I that's one that I have to include as well. Well, I did, you know, one of the things about when one is writing about a life as a journalist, there is a lot of material you can go back and, and look at because you've published it. I, I don't keep a diary. I do keep some journalistic notes. But mainly my own published work was my memory jogs. And also because of the nature of the kind of work that I did, there were other assets. Like, for example, Getty Images was a lot of the parties that I was at. Mm-hmm. So when I was writing about attending Harvey Weinstein's Oscars party the year that Chicago won big, I could go back and look at the pictures and remind myself who was there. And I would say one of the big things that was much more apparent in retrospect than it was uh, uh, at the time was how New York's in the fashion world blew up and then completely fell away. Huh. Uh, because if you look at the Marc Jacobs fashion party, is uh, the collection he presented on September 10th, 2001. That party was as star-studded as any Hollywood premiere. And he spent a lot of money because he was debuting a fragrance. So it was an extra big party. And of course, the next day was 9-11. So everything changed. Mm -hmm. And the New York fashion world never really came back to that level. So in retrospect, it makes sense. I I moved to New York in the 90s. Fashion was the big game in town to cover. It It was an obvious target for gossip. The, the absolute peak was that Marc Jacobs party where I mean, Donald and Melania were there. Like every, you know, Sarah Jessica Parker at the time was the most famous person in New York City. She was there and 20 other celebrities. And it's the, the fashion world never again regained that peak. So things like that were a little bit more apparent to me in retrospect. One of the things that I love about New York City and America in general is that you can say, you know, I came to this country as an immigrant and, and I worked uh, at a hot dog stand. And the, that's not an embarrassing thing. Like, people really respect that. I mean, in, in London, other places don't work like that. If, if you move to London and you start working in a food service, people would look down on you for the rest of your life for, for doing that. But here, people really respect work. And that's one of the things I love. So, yes, I, I was, came as an immigrant. I came on a visa that allowed me to be a foreign correspondent so I could cover uh, America for, for international newspapers, but I wasn't technically allowed to work here. So I was a little bit cheating on my visa status because I needed to make some extra money. And one of the only jobs I could get that didn't check my paperwork was this this uh, hot dog kiosk on the street of Columbus and 72nd. 
uh, and we sold buffalo meat hot dogs, which were delicious, uh, and frozen yogurt. <laughs> and uh, it was a really uh, great way to spend my first summer in New York City because I just stood there and I got to watch everyone walk by. And, you know, Harrison Ford thrillingly bought a hot dog one day and Helen Hunt would walk by occasionally. But yeah, uh, I was underdocumented and uh, it was a great way to, to get my feet wet in New York City. Well, Ben, tell us when your book comes out. It comes out on July the 7th. Okay. Anything else you would like to plug before we wrap? Uh, no, I just hope that, uh, you know, I, I really tried to write the book uh, the way gossip columnists speak among ourselves. It's kind of like the war stories that, that we would trade over a drink after writing a story. Uh, and I hope that it gives the reader a little bit of insight into that aspect of our business. Love it. Cannot wait to read all <laughs> of it. And cannot wait for this to be turned into a film. It's got to happen. <laughs> uh, guys, it's been a real thrill to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Today we are joined by psychic medium Chris Medina, who you might remember we spoke about just a few weeks ago on We Here. Chris had sat down with Stassi Schroeder and read her, and now we're talking about Stassi so much we had to have Chris come on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. What an honor. Thanks, and what amazing timing. You would yeah. almost have to be psychic. Right, right. Luckily, you are. <laughs> that works in my favor. <laughs> so, Chris, I have to ask you, are we going to see a comeback from Stassi? What are you predicting for her? You know... You you can uh, you can't keep a bad bitch down for too long. That's mm-hmm. what I'm going to say. And I really feel like with Stassi, um, uh, what what people don't realize or remember from that episode was that I wanted to go further into detail when it came to her personal life and things that were going on. But at the same time, Stassi, we all know her. She plays very close to the chest when it comes to her on a personal level. She has no she has no problem slapping somebody across the face and getting her point across that way. But when it comes to her on a personal level, she's going to keep a lot of that in. So I didn't really get the opportunity to dive in as much as I wanted to. But this is somebody right now that's getting smacked in the face with evolution and transformation. This is somebody Mm. that's going to be, and I'm going to say forced because somebody, I'm going to throw myself in there too. Somebody like her and I need to be forced into change here because if it's left up to us, we're going to drag our feet kicking and screaming, banging our head against the wall and making it a lot more difficult than we need to. So her guides came in, smacked her right across the face and said, wait a minute, we're going to stop you. So right now I honestly feel like just, you know, between us that she's going through a refinement period right now where she's really taking a real good look at what's going on with her and you know with the things that she's done in the past and making smarter yet more calculated moves in the future but to answer your question i think we're going to see her again hmm. wow so with somebody yeah so with somebody like stas you have to understand something again she plays very close to the chest and it, we're, we're going to get into her personal life here who wants their who wants their deepest darkest secrets exposed especially mm-hmm. you know with what i had to tell her now not to divulge any secrets but i i know chris that you gave maggie a reading at one point um, before this episode. And um, I guess similarly to, as to the Stasi situation, you don't want to <laughs> say anything that she's not ready to hear. But can you tell us anything about the reading you gave Maggie and kind of her energy or how it went with Maggie's permission? I, I give you permission. I felt it was a very positive experience. Mm-hmm. And I listen, I, I care a lot about our listeners. I wanted to make sure that Chris was the real deal before we brought him on. So I was like, if we're going to have him on to talk, 
I would like to experience this firsthand. And the one, just just to throw this in here, uh, and this is not to kiss your butt because you know I'm not, I'm not a butt kisser, but Maggie, you're, you're definitely a no bullshit type of person. So immediately looking at your picture and realizing who you were, I was like, this this woman is a not going to want to do the love and light mumbo jumbo type of stuff here. She's not going to go with the want the kid gloves on. You need to snap her back into reality and have her remember who the fuck she is. So that was a lot of what I did with you was bringing you to the mirror and having you take a real good look at who you are and where you're at now and not stopping yourself. So it was a very, I'm going to steal from you. It was a very powerful type of reading, again, to, to bring you back to what matters the most, which is you and evolving where, the, the, the old you into the new you. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. I'm living it. It's making yeah. sense. Maggie was one that I was just like, I'm just going to talk to her as if she was my friend. And I don't think I held back as much as I did with Stassi. Well, thank you. (laughs) Maggie, was it as powerful as the Reiki healing that I gave you, though? Chris, one thing that it sounds crazy, but I I don't even want it. I I, I sort of understand what you're saying because I actually do have this – power of kind of reiki healing which which i don't really practice and i and i don't and tell I, me don't don't tell me anything about yourself right off the bat here because i want to be able to do that for you later on here so okay, again I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm not telling you what to tell me here but be really careful because i don't want people to think that you know when they're listening to this oh he led that psychic down that path here all right well, i'm i'm not gonna snitch on myself that anymore <laughs> Yeah. Um, I don't have anything heavy duty to give when, when it comes to you either. Again, I think that what ends up happening with you is that you're, you, it's kind of like the, uh, it's kind of like the Maggie syndrome here where, where you, where you internalize a lot here, but with you, you have, there's, there's an issue with, with revealing too much of what's going on on the inside with you. Does that make sense? Not that you're afraid, not that, not that you're afraid to expose yourself or express yourself here, but to you, you're, you're, you're very much, um, tr- trust is a major issue for you. Does that make sense? Yes. And so, wait, this is not because he's a Gemini. This is just how he is. Oh, Gemini would be, I mean, Gemini loves to talk here, but this is somebody that, that, uh, <laughs> really takes really likes to take the time to, um, they don't mind giving advice on other people people and telling you their thought process on other people, but they'll be damned if they tell you what's really going on with, when it comes to their way of thinking, because their way of thinking could be a little bit all over the place here and nobody understands them better than themselves. So they play really close to the chest, but they make great friends. I know they get a lot of shit for being Gemini's, but some of my really good friends are Gemini's. <laughs> it's just that you guys, you guys, it, it's the flip side. I always tell people that Gemini is the the, when I say lower end, I'm not trying to take away your shine here, but is a little bit more grounded than a Virgo. Both analytical, both both problem solvers in their own right here. But Gemini has a way of bringing it to you on a down to earth type of level, while Virgo likes to give their opinion on top of that. Hmm. Does that make sense? This is very this is very accurate. I have to say. So so just to to, to bring you back in here with you with somebody like you, I think that works well for you. But you're going to start to see, especially um, as I don't I don't know um, I don't I I, I kind of seen a, a little bit of a picture of you. I don't know too much of, of who you are here, but you're going to start to see Ian come down a little bit more as family starts to kick in. So or do you have kids right now? I do. That's yes, I do. Okay. I have two little kids. How old are they? Are they way young? They're three and six. Yeah, this is going to be. You'll, you'll start, and, and, and anybody listening could say, "Well, that usually what ha- that's usually what happens. Parents end up, yeah, and pa- parents end up letting go here as their children get older." But for for Ian, this is going to be more of like a um, a let go from within. So a lot of a lot of your your, and I'm not saying that you had a lot of trauma as a kid here, but a lot of repressed child memories or things that you thought about as a kid that were close to you are going to play out in your own children. So it's going to get you to calm down a little bit more. And I'm not saying that you're going to be an open book, but it's going to be it's going to allow you the opportunity to be a little bit more comfortable in your own. Child. That is extremely accurate. 
So, um, <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, I don't have anything negative to give you. It's just the for you right now. No, uh-huh. that's true. I mean, not to get too uh, deep here, but I know that is true. I actually, I have to say, I did not have a very, um, you know, idyllic childhood as Maggie knows on the streets of Brooklyn, where I'm from. But I, um, but that's true. A lot of experiences that I have with my children, it's like things that I didn't get to do as a kid, and it actually fulfills. I mean, this sounds kind of nuts, but it fulfills like certain things for me getting that, getting to see them do certain things. It's like I'm sort of having the experiencing having the experience myself, and it has actually healed a lot of those things that I didn't get to do as a kid. Oh my god, I'm getting emotional. This is very touching. Oh. <laughs> So, Chris, can you tell our listeners where they can hear more of you? Yeah, I have a podcast, which is completely different the way that I'm speaking now. It's very out there. It's called In Your Head with Chris Medina. Uh-huh. And they can, if they want to book a session, I'm at chrismedina.guide. Uh, I'm all over social media as well, um, at Psychic Chris M. I always tell people on my show, take a look at me. See if I'm if I'm the right person for you. See if we vibe and or connect here, because I'm going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Cool. As you did for me, Andy, and Yeah, today. thank you so <laughs> much it's great to have you on the podcast and we'll be tuning in thank you very much thank you so much well that's it for this episode of we here our show is produced by jamila zara williams and melissa caceres we would love to hear your questions and any ideas you have for the show please send us an email at podcasts at nypost.com to hear the latest we here episodes be sure to hit subscribe on apple podcasts spotify or any of your preferred podcast platforms. And don't forget to leave us a review. We will be back tomorrow with more Page Six exclusives. See you then.